then you'll have arrived. Until then, there's just work to be done. And God wants us to enjoy the process. And that's a hard thing, isn't it? Because I know that when we get saved, we are perfected in Christ, right? We're justified. But then every single day of our life until Jesus takes us home, we're in the process of experiencing what it means to be justified. They call that the sanctification process. Sometimes you hear big churchy words thrown about by believers. You may be guilty of it too, but do you really know what they mean? Well, today, Pastor Daniel will explain one of them, sanctification. It's a term that fits what we need to be doing as followers of Christ. We need to continue growing in our faith. We'll never fully arrive at spiritual maturity, or however you term that, you need to just keep working and letting God work on you. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Revelation chapter 2 as he begins his message, The Church in Thyatira. So I was of the generation that when it was time to learn how to drive a car, they got you a stick shift, a standard shift car, because everyone needs to learn how to drive a stick shift. Did any of you know what that, you know, some of you are like, what's a stick shift car? So I remember the first car I was driving, you know, they were starting to teach me about, you know, how to do it. And my poor dad, I love my dad so much, but my dad has the patience of, actually he doesn't have any, you know, and I love him so much. I get it from him. And, and so like, literally, I, like, like it was a traumatic experience to learn how to drive with my dad. Mostly because I couldn't drive a stick anyway, so I was stalling the car out, and, and my dad was just like, we're going to get hit, we're going we're gonna to get run over, you're stalled out in the middle of the road, and my dad yelling at me is not helping me right now. But I remember, like, so then my dad, like, my dad, like, tapped out, he's like, I'm not doing this with Daniel, this is a bad scene. So my grandfather jumped in there, my grandfather, who's like, was like the chillest guy ever. When he was older, when he was younger, he was really, they said he was really, really worked, but he was just so chill. And, and so I just remember, like, I, and, and, you know, little by little, I started getting decent at it. You know, it was fun to pop the clutch a little bit and spin the tires and stall out sometimes. I remember once I started driving decently, then the big discussion moved from, like, how to use the, the clutch and the gas properly and how to idle on a hill and all these things. And it moved to, you have to check your blind spot, Right, and everyone knows, like in a car, if you've if you've driven before, there's that little area, kind of a little bit behind the driver's door, where if you look in your rearview mirror, there could be a car there, and you wouldn't know it. And I remember, like you know, um, driving, and it's always like you had to check your blind spot. But you know, when something happens quick on the road, you don't always have enough time to look over your shoulder. And we've all, unfortunately, many of us have had those issues where we've gotten in an accident because someone was in our blind spot and we didn't see them. Right, And so the blind spot is an issue. Now, of course, you fast forward to modern day. I remember when I was uh, driving, this was a number of years ago, I got a rental car, I was traveling, and they had these little blind spot monitors on the side mirrors where all of a sudden if someone was there, it'd start blinking. And because I'm a little ADD, it would start blinking. I'm like, what's going on over there? You know, like I'm like a cat with a little laser pointer. But I would see it, I'm like, oh, there's a little thing and it blinks and it's got like blind spot monitors. I'm like, that's an awesome thing. 
right? Because it's like, you'll know something is there because the thing blinks at you. And then of course, you know, I, I got a car that had the blind spot monitors because my mom didn't raise no dummy. I'm like, I want to know that. But then when I get, when I rent a car, I always have to check, does this car have blind spot monitoring? Because when you're used to seeing the little blink, if your car that you're driving doesn't have that, you'll assume that there's no one in the blind spot because you've lost the habit of making sure like you, you pull an exorcist and you turn your head around and look over your shoulder and the whole thing. But the thing is, is that if you're not aware of what's in your blind spot, it could be catastrophic. And not only for you, but for whoever's in your blind spot, right? And nobody likes to think about the fact that we all have blind spots, but we all do, right? And in some ways, when I think about the blind spot monitor, I'm always very aware of the fact that God's word and his spirit is the ultimate blind spot monitor, And it's one of the reasons why it is so important for us to be in the scriptures and to pray because what happens is is we assume that our blind spot is clear unless we realize or are told that something is there. And as we've been doing this series in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 2 and 3, these seven letters to the seven churches, what we begin to realize is that in these churches, and especially now that we're in the middle section of these churches, that there are blind spots that are happening. And now it's really easy, you know, if it's not your blind spot, you realize how you see someone else's blind spot. But really, none of us realize what's in our blind spot because it's a blind spot, you know? And so in a lot of ways, as we spend time with Jesus and as we pray and as we really walk with people who know us and we let them into our lives, we have this ability to have the body of Christ, the spirit of God and the word of God to be a blind spot monitor for us. You know, the number of times I think about my own blind spots that my bride, Lynn, speaks into my life, it's extraordinary. I'm so grateful to be married to a woman who loves Jesus and loves his word because she'll just be like, you know, Daniel, I just get the sense, is something bothering you today? You don't seem quite like yourself, which what I'm constantly learning is that's like the Holy Spirit's blind spot monitor for me. And if you have close friends, people who know you, who can just look in your eyes and be like, hey, are you all right right now? We need that. Because without it, there will be things in our blind spots that we will not realize are there. And Jesus, in loving his church, the bride of Christ, he addresses the blind spots. And we've been seeing it over the last number of weeks, right? Where it's like, as Jesus is talking to these different churches, he is unafraid to say, this is what's in your blind spot. This is what's going on. And I love that Jesus is a straight talker that way. He doesn't really mince words. And today, as we continue going forward, we're going to see that Jesus is not mincing words again. So as we continue this series in the seven letters of the seven churches, open your Bibles, Revelation chapter 2. We're going to take verses 18 to 29 together. The fourth letter in Revelation chapter 2, it'll bring us to the end of Revelation chapter 2. Read along with us. And of course, if you are, many people are taking notes. I love hearing the adventures of note takers at Crossroads. They're like, Fusco, you talk too fast. I hear this all the time. Even you repeat it, you repeat it the second time even faster than the first time, you know? And so I heard there's a whole crew of people who go and watch the sermons on YouTube later and stops and pauses and scribbles and, and sorry for that, but you're welcome. You're getting deep into it. And so, but I love that people are reading along. So this letter, the letter to the church in Thyatira is actually the longest of the seven letters. And what's interesting is scholars would tell you that we know the least about the church in Thyatira about any of these churches. So it's the least known church. Jesus gives it the longest letter. So we'll jump on in. It says in verse 18, it says, 
And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet are like fine brass. Verse 19, I know your works, your love, your service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Wow, right? So I just read that this is the beginning of the letter. We have more to cover, but... So all of these letters begin with who is it being written to, right? And then it's also a revelation of Jesus. This is Jesus saying, this is who I am. And then he gets into kind of, these are the good things that you're doing, and then he moves on to, these are the bad things that you're doing. And so what's interesting is, so Thyatira is modern-day Akasar. I'm not sure if I'm syllabifying that right, but don't you love, I love syllabifying, the syllabification game. I'll leave it off. You say potato, I say potato, you know, all of that. Sometimes I like to have fun with people. I'll just syllabify things weird just to see if anyone notices. I'll do it through the message. Let's see if you catch me. No, I'll just get... Literally, it was about 45 miles east of Pergamum, right? So again, like I keep saying that these letters go in like almost like a, a semicircle. And so now we're moving to the east on the fourth letter. And to this church, you know, Jesus gives three attributes of who he is, right? First, it says that he is the son of God. Now, this is the only place this phrase, Jesus is the son of God, is found in the entire book of Revelation, Right? And so obviously when it says that Jesus is the Son of God, it speaks to Jesus being deity. He is uniquely God's Son. So Jesus, he's saying, I'm the Son of God. I'm speaking to you from my exalted place at the right hand of the Father. The second person of the Trinity, as we say commonly within the church. And, but not only is he the Son of God, he says he has eyes like a flame of fire. Now, if you remember when we saw John's initial vision of Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, that when it came to the eyes like a flame of fire, it really speaks to, of course, of Jesus with the eyes of the refiner's fire. The purifying gaze of Jesus. I made the point that when we talked about it then, I want to re reiterate it here, that it's one of the reasons we have a tendency to avoid the presence of God is because sometimes it feels uncomfortable to have his refining gaze looking into the depths of who we are. But we have to always remember that God's refining gaze is coming from a place of grace if you're a born-again follower of Jesus. When that because he loves us and he has died for us, because he came on a rescue mission for us, it's not like he didn't know what was within us, but oftentimes we don't realize what's within us. And as we look into the eyes of Jesus that are like flames of fire, there is a refining that happens. And it's something that I keep, I'll keep talking about as we do this series, and it's something that is so important for us to remember is that what God is interested in your life is transformation. I always like to say it this way, that our God is not a God of affirmation. He's a God of transformation. Now, I really use the word affirmation. I can mean lots of different things to a lot of different people. 
in our culture today, the word affirmation means that just the way you are, you're perfect. And now in a sense, that's true because it's where you are today. You're perfectly where you are. But in a spiritual sense, that's completely not true. So God doesn't say to any of us, listen, just the way you're going to stay that way forever, you're perfect. He says, look, I love you just where you are, but I love you way too much to leave you like that. But God affirms us in the fact that he receives us, but he doesn't affirm us being like, you just do you and you're fine. He's a God of transformation. He's like, look, you've been doing you. There's some good things, a lot of things that aren't good. I want to receive you right where you are, but I'm going to change you. I'm going to transform you. And so Jesus, with these eyes like fire, it really speaks of the work that God wants to do in our lives. And I'm here to tell you, no matter how old you are, no matter how long you've been walking with Jesus, no matter how intensely you've been walking with Jesus, God's got a ton of work to do. There's a ton of work to do. And it never ends. We never arrive. We're never like, bro, I am. Like when you get to heaven, then you'll have arrived. Until then, there's just work to be done. And God wants us to enjoy the process. And that's a hard thing, isn't it? Because I know that when we get saved, we are perfected in Christ, right? We're justified. But then every single day of our life until Jesus takes us home, we are in the process of experiencing what it means to be justified. They call that the sanctification process. So you are perfected, but you're growing every single day. And learning how to trust the process is hard. I just had this, I love the springtime here, you know, late winter and spring, because it's mole reproduction time. I know some of you are like, I know what you're talking about, Fusco, right? Now, I actually, at our house, you know, we don't have like a ton of land or anything, but like we definitely had like post-COVID moles at our house because normally, you know, they dig down deep and they give you some holes and when, and when they're making their little love shack, they make bigger holes, you know, and if you don't live anywhere around here, you don't know the gift of the mole holes, but like our mole was like a post-pandemic mole because he didn't really want to dig down so deep. So everything was like an above the ground thing and then it was, it, was, it was just making a mess and then he decided he wanted to be like spelunking or something because then he would like dig underneath concrete and come up in like the, it was bad. Like, I'm like, this guy's way out there. He's like a meth head mole or something. It's like, he was just all over the place. It was like, it had no rhyme or reason, you know? And it was really, really rough. And I remember, so finally I just got frustrated because like, I'm from New Jersey. So I go to Wilco, I got the mole catching traps, but like, I just don't have those skills. Like, I just, he knows I'm a city slicker or something. He just knows like, this guy ain't gonna catch me. So I, I hired a guy, you know? I hired a guy and I'm like, okay, this guy's gonna come. He's gonna Fix them. And so sure enough, the guy show, comes up, he puts all his traps, he's explaining to me what he's doing because I'm trying to learn because I'm going to live here for a while and I, you know, we'd rather not pay for it forever. So I'm like, how do we do this thing? And he's explaining it to me, right? And sure enough, the day after the mole traps went in, the next day, the mole's like, oh, you're trying to catch me, huh? There was like 87 more mole holes, like in all these different places. And Lynn looks at me, she's like, what's going on there? I'm like, he's like, oh yeah, you think you're going to catch me, you know? And I'm like, sweetie, we got to trust the process. So I said, now I didn't want to trust the process because I've heard stories of people who go out in their backyard with shotguns going and get their moles. And I thought to myself, I'm like, that sounds like fun. You know what I mean? Like, like if we're going to do this, let's just do this old school, you know? And so if you see me with a shotgun, just run, trust me. <laughs> it's like, no good's going to come from that. So I'm like, I'm going to trust the process. And so sure enough, over the next couple of weeks, as the guy comes out, I send him the pictures. It's like literally the next day, I'm like, send him a picture, I'm like, uh-oh, we got a problem. He's like, he's on the run. That's what he said to me. <laughs> he's on the run. But sure enough, with each week, it's like, you know, a couple moles got caught. I'm like, how many think there are? And he's like, oh, there's probably two. He ends up getting five over like three weeks. 
It was crazy, you know what I mean? But like, I bring this up because sometimes we don't like trust in the process, right? Jesus' way of changing us. His refining gaze that does the work. So I want to encourage you, trust the process with Jesus. Like, we want to be changed in an instant. I wanted the moles gone before I hired the guy, right? You want to be like Jesus before you prayed for him to do that work in your life, but you have to trust the process. And sometimes it's just because you're not getting the outcome you want immediately does not mean that God isn't doing the work he needs to do. Because in a lot of ways, the transformation that Jesus wants to do in our lives doesn't include new things. It includes us continuing to do the old things that we've always known. And can, learning how to keep showing up. When it's not new, when it's not, the oh, wow, that blew my mind. It's like, no, nah, I just still show up and I do what I'm supposed to do. The right thing, faithfully. So Jesus has these eyes of fire. And not only that, I love this, and his feet are like fine brass. And, and, of course, the idea of that fine brass, you know, that was the strongest metal in that day. But that idea of brass it always speaks of God's judgment. Because remember, the brazen altar in the tabernacle in the temple, that was made of fine brass. So Jesus is like, listen, so you realize that for this church, he's going to get into some stuff. Because he's like, man, listen, I'm God's son. I'm God. I got eyes of fire that need to purify you, and we're going to be talking about some judgment, right? So, so he starts there. But then let me give you the principle, and then we can really unpack as we move into what they're doing good and where they're struggling. Really, the lesson that we have in these verses is that your holiness matters. Your holiness matters. Because as Jesus explains that I am the son of God, I have eyes like a flame of fire, I have these feet like fine brass. And he says, these are all the things you're doing good, but then he gets into all the things that aren't good. And really what we're seeing is that over and over again, Jesus cares about the content of our lives. What is the fruit in our lives? What is going on in our lives? And I think we have this tendency culturally, and even sometimes within the body of Christ, we have this tendency to think, I want Jesus to save my soul, but I really don't want him to adjust what I do every day. And it's been said that a faith that does not change your life cannot save your soul. Like we want God to redeem us so we can be in heaven with God, but we actually don't want our lives to be the place where heaven can touch down where we are. And so really, as we're going to be seeing this, we're going to say like, who we are matters to God. How we steward our own lives matters to Jesus. So notice here, he says in verse 19, look at all the things Jesus knows about the church in Thyatira. I know your works. I know your love. And I know your service and your faith and your patience or your perseverance. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. I mean, so, so the church in Thyatira has a lot of great things going on. I know that your deeds, I know the emotion behind those deeds. I know that you love. I know that your loving deeds work itself out as service. You're serving other people. You're serving one another. You have faith. It's the fuel that is driving this service. And of course, I know your, your patience, your perseverance. I know that things are not easy for you. And what's powerful is unlike the church in Ephesus, which is the first church that we saw, Jesus also says, and as for your works, the last are more than the first. Remember the church in Ephesus, like they had great first works, but they had lost their first love. The church in Thyatira has got momentum going, right? They're doing more now than they were before. They got a head of steam and they're really growing right now. And so these things are wonderful, but not everything is wonderful because he says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. Now, I always say that, like, I almost want you to underline that in your Bible. 
Because, you know, because we live in a world where everyone wants to be built up because life can be so challenging, sometimes we don't want Jesus to say, hey, listen, this is the issues that I have with your life. Or if somebody comes to you and say, hey, listen, you love Jesus and look at all these great things that's happening, but listen, you got to look at this. We have a tendency to be like, don't judge me, right? That's what we say. Like, who, who do you think you are? But like, Jesus is so honest with this church. He's like, you got all these great things going, but there are some things that I'm having issues with. And now Jesus is going to speak to them about their blind spots now. And what's so powerful about this is Jesus loves them enough to speak into their blind spots. And I'm here to tell you that real love is honest and truthful, right? And we all, we, how do I say this in a way that makes sense? Is that the last thing any of us should want is for nobody to feel that they love us enough to tell us where the issues are. Because we're all growing or we should be. And listen, like, it's like when Jesus loves a church enough to say, listen, you are doing great in all these areas and you have momentum, you have faith and you have love and then you're doing great, but actually there's some huge issues too. That's not Jesus being mean. That's not him being judgmental. That's him being a good savior because he wants us to grow. So for the church in Thyatira, listen what the issue is. He says, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols, and I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. So what they have in this church is there is a prophetess who calls herself Jezebel, right? or her name is Jezebel, she calls herself a prophetess, and she's compromising and corrupting the church through sexual immorality and things sacrificed idols. Now, if you know your Bible at all, you know that Jezebel shows up in 1 Kings chapter 16 to 21, and then also 2 Kings 9, right? So Jezebel was the wife of a king of Israel named Ahab. She was one of the main issues that the prophet Elijah had in his ministry because because of her powerful association with the king, she was bringing in to Israel what God had said not to, which is the marriage of the worship of a pagan god called Baal with also belief in the creator God. And so there was this mixture that was going on. And really it begins with this woman. It doesn't mean that all women are bad, but like for Jesus to call this woman Jezebel, whether that's her name or not, that would be like in our day and age, be like calling someone a Judas. Right or, or you call someone a Hitler. It's very provocative. And for the children of Israel, at that time, this woman being Jezebel is very provocative. And now we live in a day and age now where in the name of feminism, it's like, you know, Jezebel's like a, like a hero, which is not real feminism. It's just trashy. Does that make sense? But I realize that our culture loves to pit itself against the past. But like when you read like Jezebel was, she was like having the people of God murdered. <laughs> Like, so this is not like a good woman. Jesus is real. Do you have someone in your life who loves you enough to tell you the truth when you need to hear it? That's what Pastor Daniel was just talking about today. God loved the church at Thyatira enough to bring up their shortcomings. He wanted them to see what was lurking in their blind spot because it was dangerous. It was harming them. And it could have deadly consequences. 
Is there something in your life God's trying to get your attention about? Hey everybody, this is Pastor Daniel, and I want to be honest with you for a moment. Life is messy, and the hard reality is, if it isn't messy for you now, it will be, and it probably has been in the past. Did you know that you can still thrive in tough times? It's true, but only through the power of Jesus. That's the purpose behind my book, Honestly. I want you to know how to keep living your best life in Jesus, no matter the circumstances. You can find out more about it and get your own copy at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, I wanted to remind you that each day on Facebook, Pastor Daniel shares a simple two-minute message. In this message, Pastor Daniel draws out an important biblical truth that really helps set your day on the right path. So be sure to follow Pastor Daniel Fusco on Facebook and share these two-minute messages with your friends and family. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will remind you that history is there to learn from. While we may advance in technology and culture, people are still people. We still sin, and we still need to learn from those who've messed up before. That's what this letter to Thyatira is for. The people needed to remember what consequences came from a situation eerily similar to their own. You've been listening to Jesus Is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco of Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Next time. Until then, may God bless.